Henry Kissinger is arguably the most influential thinker in the past 40-50 years on American foreign policy. Kissinger came to prominence in the mid-1960s. Before that, he was a professor at Harvard University, of course, one of the most prominent and prestigious universities in the U.S., but Kissinger came under the limelight when Nelson Rockefeller, of the very famous Rockefeller family of northeastern America, was running for the American presidency and he chose Kissinger as his main foreign policy advisor. Nelson Rockefeller lost the race to the presidency, but later Richard Nixon chose Kissinger as his national security advisor and later he became the Secretary of State in the Richard Nixon administration. Kissinger was the main architect of the American-Chinese relationship in the early 1970s when he reached out to China under, of course, uh, the agreement with Richard Nixon to begin an American-Chinese official relationship because prior to that, the U.S. did not acknowledge communist China. So in the early 1970s, Kissinger undertook a number of secret visits to China and secret rounds of negotiation with the Chinese leadership, which culminated in the 1972 visit by Richard Nixon to China, which at the time was a very important event in international relations. The rationale of the American reach out to China was, on one hand, that if the U.S. were to have a good or a working relationship with communist China, then that would be a wedge, some sort of a separation between communist China and the Soviet Union, again in the early 1970s. Indeed, the relationship between China and the Soviet Union was actually quite problematic anyway at that time, but an American-Chinese direct relationship, relatively healthy, certainly would be a weakening of the international positioning of the Soviet Union. So that was the first rationale of the American reach out to the Chinese at the time. But there was another rationale, and that is, throughout the 1960s and early 1970s, the U.S. was suffering from its war in Vietnam which, despite immense resources that the U.S. had thrown in that war, money, weapons, and of course tens if not hundreds of thousands of personnel, despite that, the outcomes, the results of the war were far, far 
beneath, below, inferior to what the U.S. wanted. And therefore, the entire positioning of America in China was suffering. And therefore, a direct, healthy, good American-Chinese relationship would certainly, in the American thinking, would have been a great improvement in the American strategic presence Asia, particularly in East Asia or Northeast Asia. Behind the American reach out to China, there was a logic, which was the US, and here to a very large extent, Henry Kissinger and teams in his office in the State Department, in the national security, they calculated in the early 1970s that China was on the rise. China had the human resources, the work ethic, some key ingredients in industrial production and in agriculture that would enable China in the coming 20-30 years to grow at relatively decent economic growth rates. And the idea was that as China economically grows, millions of poor Chinese, primarily peasants in the countryside, would slowly but steadily get richer. Very slowly will get richer and will emerge from the poor segments of society to join the middle class, at least the lower middle class. And the idea here was that gradually these social groups would start to consume more. Gradually, their consumption levels would increase. Gradually, they would grow a bit richer. Gradually, they would start to buy assets. Small flat here, small car there. More years pass, they would want to have a bigger flat, slightly better car. Some people will get a bit richer, will want to have a, another house. The idea was that in 20, 30, 40 years, there will be a change in the economic structure of China that will create a proper middle class. And that this middle class will start to have aspirations, will start to build some economic wealth, and naturally will want to protect that wealth, will want to have some sort of checks and balances in the political economy of China, which gradually would mean curbs on the power of the Communist Party in China, which means that in the American calculus, particularly the seed of ideas that Henry Kissinger planted or had planted in American strategic thinking in the early or mid-1970s was that in 30 years or so, the changes, economic changes in China, will lead to social aspirations in China that will lead to political changes in the country that will manifest themselves in a reduction 
of the control of the Communist Party over China. That was the long game of the U.S. in China when it reached out in the early or mid-1970s to that colossal country. The thinking here can take a step forward because once the Chinese society or big segments in the Chinese society start to have consumption aspirations, start to have political needs for checks and balances on the ruling authority, on the Communist Party, by default, in this line of thinking, the Chinese society or big segments of it would want to look westward, would want to have aspirations such as those in the West. And therefore, the strategic look of the Chinese society will be far from any communist ideology, from any socialist way of thinking, and will basically be capitalist, will basically move very slowly, very gradually, but towards political liberalism. And therefore, in this strategic line of thinking, Kissinger saw or predicted or wanted some sort of a transformation within the sociopolitics and the political economy of China so that it becomes more or less oriented towards the West. However, in the past 20 years or so, another line of thinking started to emerge within important circles in the United States. In that line of thinking, there was skepticism about all of this long-term game that was supposedly to manifest in China. And the idea was very simple, that by the late 1990s, early 2000s, a number of voices in the US started to say, we have not seen any major change in the political structure of China. We have not seen a weakening of the Communist Party over China. We have not seen very detectable transformations or clear signs of change within the political economy of China. And yet, on the other side, still there were voices, including that of Henry Kissinger, that said, no, look at the patterns of consumption within the Chinese society, increasingly becoming very capitalist. Look at the agents of production, of services, of exporting within the Chinese economy, very much capitalist in nature. And therefore, in that line of thinking and in contrast to those who will say, oh, come on, we're not seeing all of these changes you are telling about in the politics of China, Kissinger and others around him were basically promoting the idea that, no, the patterns of change within the society and the economy of China will ultimately make the rise of China compatible with the ideologies and the interests of the United States. 
and therefore in that line of thinking it was still the basic idea was China continues to rise but there will not be a clash of interests between China and the US this view had a lot of power simply because it included influential voices chief amongst them was that of Henry Kissinger not just because Henry Kissinger was national security advisor was secretary of state but also because he knew China very well he wrote about China extensively actually including a very interesting and at the time important and influential book called on China in addition to that and before and after that Kissinger went to China many times since that early visit in the early 1970s and when Kissinger went to China he did not meet only leaders of industry uh, managing directors of companies the CEOs of companies or even prominent politicians he met the top lay of the leaders of the communist party in China which meant that he really had access he listened to the decision makers in China he understood the drivers the psychology the thinking what really they were supposedly at least thinking about and at the same time of course Kissinger had access to the CEOs the big bosses of the top American companies banks that had interests in China so he understood both sides the economic and political thinking and interests and plans of those in the United States with interests in China and of those who make decisions in China all of this gave immense credibility to the idea that the rise of China will gradually affect these socio-political and political economy changes within China and therefore it would lead to a peaceful rise of China from the perspective of the United States in the past four to five years roughly from 2018 until now 2023 that line of thinking of a peaceful rise of China there will be no confrontation between China and the US started to really suffer and lose credibility or momentum at least and on the other side the line of thinking that says no the rise of China will necessarily result in a strategic confrontation with America has got a lot of momentum behind it and that has been happening across the board in the United States so in the Republican Party as well as in the Democratic Party across all state institutions so the State of Department the Central Intelligence Agency Defense Intelligence Agency across the most important and influential newspapers universities think tanks the key circles that affect public opinion across the board basically a consensus 
has been building in the United States that China is destined now to become a superpower whose interests will challenge or will run in the face of the interests of the United States and therefore China soon will challenge the US. Not just in East Asia, not just in Northeast Asia, not just in the South and East China Seas, but in different parts of the world. Interestingly, Henry Kissinger himself changed his view in the last three to four years. Kissinger has just reached 100 years old in May or June 2023, so naturally the man's output has decreased because of age, because of energy. Yet still, in a number of interviews he has given, including a very long one with The Economist magazine, which of course is very influential in the Anglo-Saxon world, Kissinger made it clear that he indeed now sees that the rise of China will entail interests that will conflict those or with those of the United States and therefore a strategic confrontation between China and America is likely. In his view, that potential or that confrontation will, will not likely take place over the hot spots in the East China Sea or the South China Sea, primarily Taiwan. And I have spoken about Taiwan in a previous episode in this series. In Kissinger's view, he does not see the hotspots, primarily Taiwan, in the immediate neighborhood of China as the areas where the interests of the United States would really clash with those of China and therefore would lead to some sort of confrontation, let alone a potential military flare-up. But what he sees is that despite the growth of China over the past 40 years at extremely fast economic growth rates, and despite indeed major changes in the consumption patterns in the society and in the foundations and functioning dynamics of the Chinese economy, still the Communist Party retains its control over China and still the strategic interests of China take by far more precedence over any changes in the political economy or the aspirations of the enlarged, widened middle class in the Chinese society. So basically, the view that he had 35 or 40 years ago did not really materialize. Timing here is quite important because the change in the thinking or the thought of Henry Kissinger is certainly influenced by the war on Ukraine because this war, which is to a very large extent a confrontation between the West led by the United States and on the other side, Russia, 
which is supported by a number of countries, and some would say China is one of them, that dynamic is very prominent right now in the views of anyone who thinks about international relations, as well as the fact that the world is clearly becoming polarized or increasingly polarized between blocks. One of them is the West in general, and the other is China and a number of countries that either revolve in its orbit or whose interests are much more aligned with those of China than with those of the West. Effectively, this polarization into blocks is also very prominent in the thought of any observer of international relations. So the timing where these two developments are taking place certainly affected the thought of Henry Kissinger and probably were key factors in the change that happened in his view of the rise of China. What really matters to us here is that now, in the mid of 2023, we are entering the race of the American 2024 presidential elections. So in the coming 18 months or so, we will see competing ideas about America's strategic outlook and positioning in the world. And of course, the confrontation with China or the nascent confrontation with China is the chief topic here. And so that the camp that saw the rise of China as peaceful will not lead to a confrontation with the US, that camp lost its most prominent voice, the one with the biggest gravitas, that of Henry Kissinger, means that we enter this season of thinking about foreign policy in the US, that of the presidential election, with the camp that sees the rise of China as a threat and that predicts indeed a strategic confrontation with the US as a given. This tells us that the narrative about international relations in this electoral season will be paramount.